Hey everyone, it is great to be with you. Whether you're joining us online or you're at one of our campuses, we're glad you're here. We're in this series called Elephant in the Room and we asked you to share uh, some questions with us that you've always wanted to ask or things that you always wanted to talk about. And uh, we got this huge long list with all kinds of categories, but one of the things that kept coming up over and over again were these questions about marriage and divorce. And from the very beginning, I want you to know that this is going to be a difficult message for me and maybe for a lot of you. You know, one of the greatest blessings and privileges in my life is the opportunity that I have to teach from the Word of God in order to hopefully challenge and build people's lives. But it's also a very serious responsibility, and I'm going to tell you that there are times when that responsibility feels like a great burden. And that burden comes in moments when I realize that I am very aware of how, how unworthy I am to be God's spokesman. And in moments when I know that God's word is going to be hard to hear and may strike at the very heart of raw nerves and some open wounds. And I feel a little bit of that burden today as we answer some of these questions because that's how hard this truth is to talk about. Because a lot of people today are gonna probably feel uncomfortable or even condemned or guilty. It's just gonna be a really happy time to be in church. <laughs> there is always a twofold temptation when it comes to teaching the Bible. The first one is to say more than the Bible says. The second one is to say less than the Bible says. And that's important today because the subject of marriage and divorce is really a big deal to God. You don't have to be a theologian to know that God is not crazy about divorce. And, and it doesn't take a sociologist to know that, that divorce is uh, not good in our culture right now. Even the disciples struggled with this truth that we're going to talk about. In fact, if we were to begin with the last verse of the text we're going to study, look at what it says. It says, the disciples said to him, if this is the situation between a husband and wife, then it is better not to marry. I mean, the guys that walked with Jesus and, and spent time with him every day struggled with this teaching so much that they looked at him and said, wow, I mean, if it's really going to be like this, then maybe, maybe we shouldn't even get married. Maybe we should just live single. It was hard for these guys, if it was hard for these guys, then it's probably going to be hard for you and me. And so all I ask is that you stay with me till the end. Don't get up and leave, because I'll call you out from the stage. <laughs> Don't check out. Stay, stay around until the end. And the reason is, is you and me, whether we believe in God or not, all right, whether we're in a relationship with Jesus or not, every one of us wants the truth. We want someone to share truth with us and not sugarcoat it or say something that just makes us feel better about ourselves or, or covers the situation. We want someone to tell us the truth even when it's hard. And so here's the thing. Jesus talked about, he, he taught on some really difficult things and then he would say things like, if, if you have ears and if you have eyes, then, then you're gonna hear and, and you're gonna see. But if you don't, this is gonna scare you off. 
And then he would deliver these amazing messages about the kingdom of God and the way things really are and the way things really should be. And, and the people would just get up and walk away. But if they could have stuck it out, they, they would have gotten this incredible piece of truth that could have really changed the way they view the world and the way they viewed uh, or the way they lived and the way they viewed the kingdom of God. And so before we go on, I'm just going to ask you to listen carefully to everything. Don't, because of some personal experience or personal bias, shut this truth out. I prayed more for this message probably than any other message I've prayed for, for the proper balance of grace and truth in this message. And you know what that is. Truth is, or grace is what, uh, what let me get this right, right? Truth is that we, you and I were completely separated from God. Grace is what happened at the cross, right? And so I believe the things that we're going to talk about today have to be talked about in the context of truth and grace. And so here's what I want to do. I want to teach this passage with clarity. When you leave, I want you to leave feeling like you understand what Jesus is saying and, and, and you understand Jesus's heart. And I want to teach this passage with authority because that's what we do every single week when we're here. And lastly, I want to teach this passage with humility. Because honestly, at the end of the day, this is just one broken man talking to broken people. And every one of us is dependent on the cross. Every one of us is dependent on the grace of God for every part of our life and living. In fact, at my last church, we left about 12 years ago, but I was preaching there one time and this little lady came up. She was about 90 years old and she said, you know, we've had a lot of pastors talk about how they struggle in the past. She said, you're the first one we believed. And I tried to find the compliment that I knew was there. So here's the deal. I'll make you a deal today. I'm going to try to be accurate, clear, and practical and sensitive as I address this subject. You try to be open and receptive. I know the truth that we will look at will be hard, but I know that God's grace is greater than any of our conclusions or our sins. So we're going to jump into Matthew chapter 19. Look at what it says. Almost from the beginning, you need to understand that Jesus had been criticized and challenged by the Pharisees, okay? In fact, there are, some, there are probably not more consistent words than you find right here in verse three. Some Pharisees came to him to test him. They're not looking for real information. They're just trying to test him, to trip him up with a question concerning divorce and remarriage. What they wanted to do was discredit Jesus by asking him a question that would put him as odds with the Moses who had given the law. You see, in the, in the Old Testament, in the days of the Old Testament, women came to, be, uh, to, to almost be treated like merchandise, to be bought, sold, or traded, and, and divorce was something that had just become common. And this happened because of self-serving and liberal rabbis, and they had greatly distorted and mis misused the Mosaic law to justify uh, their own sins, their own lusts for other women, and their displeasure with their current wife. This was related to an instruction that was given in Deuteronomy chapter 24, these men had developed a very frivolous and callous attitude about marriage, and it was based on their misinterpretation of Deuteronomy, where the law gives instructions to a husband about giving his wife a certificate of divorce because she had become displeasing to him or because he had found something indecent about her. They had twisted the instruction to give themselves a license to divorce their wives for any reason. If 
she spoiled his dinner, if she were seen in public with her head uncovered, or if she talked to another man on the street, if she spoke disrespectfully to her husband's parents, like that's gonna do it. <laughs> if she became plain looking compared to other women who were maybe more beautiful. You see, they weren't concerned with the institution of marriage. They just wanted a quick and easy way out and it was almost always because of their sinful hearts. And so they really thought they had him set up with this question, but Jesus turns the table on him. Look at the rest of verse three. They asked, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? In other words, Jesus, when is it okay for a man to divorce his wife and be good with God, be good with society, and, and everything's cool, right? So there were two extreme views on divorce, right, during this time. One, you could divorce your wife for any and every reason, right? In fact, she, he could just look at you and say, I divorce you, I divorce you, I divorce you, right? And you're out. You know the thing we do with our kids, right? One, two, this is where it comes from. <laughs> Maybe, that's interpretation. All right, but he could just, I divorce you, I divorce you, I divorce you without any documentation, no certificate, no trial. He could just say that and you were done. That was what Moses responded to in Deuteronomy. The second view was that a man couldn't divorce his wife for any reason at all, except unfaithfulness, but only during the engagement period or the betrothal, right? This is something we all know about because of the Christmas story, right? He didn't have to, and, and what, the only reason that he could do it is if there was some kind of immorality, and it didn't even have to be witness. It just had to be even the appearance of immorality. He could go to the father and say, I'm done, I'm out. That's what Joseph struggled with. So these guys are coming to Jesus to see if he's just going to say what Moses said or he's going to say something different. Look at his response. Haven't you read? Now, he's talking to professional readers, okay? These are the most educated men in Jerusalem. Haven't you read? In other words, this has already been covered. The answer to your question is already available. You've just missed it. Haven't you read? He replied that at the beginning, the creator made them male and female. Now, don't miss this, okay? Because in that culture, in our culture, when it comes to divorce and remarriage, we like to look at our current circumstances. What did he say? What did she do? My husband would never, my wife promised, my husband threatened, he did, she did, she didn't, he did, my ex did, my ex didn't. We like to look at and say, here are my circumstances, the things that I find myself in. And, and so therefore, because of this, my divorce is justified. And, and I can have a clear conscience because that's how we think, because we're looking for a loophole. And we do that a lot in our lives when it comes to sin or the truth of God. We want to look for a loophole. And Jesus says, let me take you back to the beginning. Well, my marriage didn't happen in the beginning. He just says, well, there's something you don't understand. The reason you're looking for a loophole, the reason you think you're justified is because there's something about marriage that you don't understand. And he says to them, and he says to you and me, let me take you back to the first marriage. Because in the beginning, God didn't start with a group of men and women. He didn't have options and spares. In the beginning, there was no provision or even the possibility of alternate or multiple spouses. And then verse five, he says, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife. And you see that word united? 
That's a Hebrew word that refers to a strong bonding together of objects. It actually means stuck like glue, and it represents the total commitment and consecration of husbands and wives to each other. It doesn't just describe something that can be separated. And then look what happens, and the two are going to become one flesh. Jesus says, maybe you didn't know, and maybe nobody told you, but in God's eyes, the two become one. The two become indivisible, inseparable, the total possession of each other, one in mind, spirit, goals, direction, emotion, and will. The two become one. In other words, marriage isn't a license and a honeymoon, right? The two become something neither of them were before. The two become one. And so Pharisees, what you're asking me is under what circumstances can one become two? Look at what it says. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. Listen to me. Every marriage is made in heaven. Every marriage is always the work of God. And do you know why? Because God invented it. God is the one that created marriage in the very beginning. He was there over the first marriage. And here is Jesus' point. It doesn't matter what anyone else says. It doesn't matter what kind of spin you put on it. God's ideal for marriage from the beginning was one man, one woman forever. Two become one. And what God has done, you can't undo. And you and I start to think, that sounds so permanent. Yep. But that doesn't work because we want to go to our circumstances. She said this, he did this. We want to go to the betrayal, to the events and to all the details. And just Jesus says, okay, okay, I get it. That's the reality. I understand what you're living in. But before we go there, are you willing to recognize this truth that maybe you didn't understand? That when you try to undo what God has done, when you try to unwind out of marriage, do you understand how complicated it's going to be? Because you're trying to take what is one and make it two after God made it one. Hey, Jesus, we want to know if this is permissible. And Jesus says, guys, based upon what God taught, I I don't even think it's possible to undo what God has done. Look, that's why he says in Matthew 5 this. It has been said, he's talking about divorce in Matthew 5. It has been said, anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce. But I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for sexual immorality, and that's the That's the Greek word porneia. And that word has a much larger meaning than just sex outside of marriage or or sex with someone else other than your spouse. This is is anything sexual outside of the confines of a relationship between a husband and a wife. Except for porneia makes her the victim of adultery. Well, we know that, right? Because she is. If you committed adultery, you've made her the victim of adultery. Now, anyone who marries a divorced woman then commits adultery. So when you divorce her and she marries somebody else, he becomes an adulterer. Why is it like that? Well, because you may have recognized that divorce, but your father in heaven didn't. 
I mean, if that's the way it's going to be between a husband and a wife, then maybe it's just better that we don't get married. But it doesn't have to be like that. I mean, listen, this is a really hard truth. But marriage is hard when you don't understand this truth. Because marriage involves absolute commitment. When two people get married, each one of them leaves their old single life behind in a sense that they let go of their personal relational priorities so that they can make a full and complete commitment to one another. When you get married, you're saying to your spouse, you are now my first earthly priority. That means you close the door on other possibilities. On the, one of the main reasons you and I experience divorce is that your spouse stops being your first earthly priority. When you don't understand that you are leaving your old life, when money or work or personal pursuits or personal happiness or what you want or what you desire and what they should do, when that becomes your priority, when it, when it becomes your higher earthly priority than your spouse, then your marriage is going to suffer. When you're married, your spouse becomes your first earthly priority. But marriage also involves absolute unity. Listen, Jesus in these verses is talking about two types of unity. He's talking about a physical unity and a spiritual unity. And a marriage based solely on sex could never survive the tough times that we're going to face in life. And at the same time, there's, if there's no sexual relationship between a husband and a wife, right, a powerful part of God's plan and his provision for marriage is missing. And, and here's the genius of God's plan for marriage. He designed marriage to enable husbands and wives to connect on two levels, on the physical and the spiritual. Marriage is much more than a sexual relationship. If you're married, you know that. But, but God has given us this physical passion and desire in us, and it's powerful. And since God created marriage for the expression of that passion and desire, it can't be neglected. And just like a physical union, the spiritual can't be neglected either. And that's maybe best described in Genesis chapter two, verse 25. It says this, the man and his wife were naked and they felt no shame. This happened in the very begin, beginning before sin entered the world. And, and so that means that Adam and Eve were in complete union and peace with each other and with God. Now the problem is we don't live in that world today because sin came in to the world in Genesis 3, and it affected every part of our world. But we have the ability through the grace of God to live at peace with God through our faith and our commitment to Jesus so that we can pursue a growing union with God, and it should be part of every single marriage. Because marriage involves an absolute reverence. Listen, God created and ordained marriage, so it has to be treated as something holy. It's more than a living arrangement and more than a partnership. It is a unique union that was created and ordained and blessed by God. And so he has this conversation with them and he looks at them and says, you want to go on? And so we go to our next verse. And at this point in our text, the Pharisees are just trying to dig themselves out of this hole because Jesus has turned their question back on them. And don't you know, don't you know there's a couple of them that are like, what were we thinking? Who came up with this stupid question? And here's what he's going to do. He's going to do it to him again. Look at verses seven through nine. Why then, they ask, 
did Moses command, and that's an important word, that a man give his wife a certificate of divorce and send her away? Okay, I understand what you're saying, Jesus, right? We know what God said, but Moses, who knew all of this, knew two became one. He also told us to give our wives a certificate of divorce, so when can we do that? And Jesus replies, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives because your hearts were hardened. Moses didn't command you to get a divorce. He permitted you to because of your hardened hearts. And here's what was going, back on, back in, going on back in that culture. The men in that culture were kicking their wives out because they, they didn't cook right or look right or say the right thing. And the wives had no place to live or work or, or, or they couldn't even go back to their families because of what it looked like. It looked like they'd been bad wives. And so in order to protect women, Moses permitted you to give a certificate so they could find a place to work or live or go back to their families. Moses didn't permit this certificate to be given somehow because he recognized that one could become two. He did this to protect women in that culture, to give them legal status. And he did it because of the heart, not, not because of anything they had done. He did it because of the hardness of your heart. Moses was dealing with the breakdown of marriage. Look at verse eight. Because it was not that way, but it's a really big word. He may have permitted you to, but go back beyond Moses. But it was not this way from the beginning. This was a concession because of the hardness of your heart. And then verse nine, I tell you, anyone who divorces his wife except for sexual immorality, that word porneia again, and marries another woman commits adultery. Now listen to this, because it's Matthew 5, only a little bit clearer. Now it's not your wife who you divorce is committing adultery in the person. Now it's you. If you divorce your wife, then you're committing adultery, and whoever you marry, you're committing adultery, right? Porneia. Now let's stop and step out of this passage for just a minute. And let me just say this. There are other concessions made in Scripture besides adultery. All right, Paul in 1 Corinthians allows divorce and remarriage when a believer is married to an unbeliever and, and the unbeliever chooses to abandon that marriage. And I, I would even argue that there's a broader definition of this and it could possibly include repetitive, defiant, unrepentant physical abuse. And if this is your situation, listen to me, you need to get out now. You don't need to wait around. You need to call the police because we want you to separate for safety. All right? You need to come up here or call, get a hold of us online or come to one of our campuses and let us help you and your spouse get on a path to reconciliation, to achieve reconciliation. Now, I know that seems thing, but here's the deal. God may have given, he may have given concessions he did not give commands, right? This is grace, but the truth is that God is a God of reconciliation. It's true in our individual lives with God, and it's true in our lives with each other that God is a God of reconciliation, and that's his desire. He may have given concession, but his desire is reconciliation. And it's really important to note right here, listen to this closely, 
There is no concession for I'm unhappy. He doesn't get me. She doesn't meet my needs. We're growing in different directions. People changed. He gained a lot of weight. Jesus says, don't look for a way out. And as a church, we're going to pursue reconciliation at all costs, regardless of the circumstance. If you're unhappy or you're unfulfilled, listen to me. I get it. I understand. I know it's difficult. Marriage is difficult. And some of you in here, I have talked to people, countless people, and listen to me. I know this. No situation is the same. I know that I don't know your situation. I don't know what you're walking through. I'm not living it, and I know it can be hard, but God is a God of reconciliation. Not separation. And so we want to get you help and pastoral counseling. We want to set you up with marriage mentors who are going to stress the truth of Scripture and the reality that God can help every couple achieve true oneness, just as he designed it to be, that you, where you are today, doesn't have to be a place you're going to be a year from now. But you have to be willing to humble yourselves and to make changes. And listen to me, if you don't, here's the thing. If you don't, you can get a divorce, but you don't just take your oneness into the next relationship. You take the oneness of that relationship into the next relationship. And you take the dysfunction of this one into the next one if you don't deal with this. All right, back to Jesus. All right, let's look at where we started. Matthew chapter 19, verse 10. And this is the way the disciples responded. If this is the situation between a husband and a wife, it's better not to marry. And in the next verse, Jesus looks at them and he just says, not everyone has ears to hear and not everyone has eyes to see. And some people are going to walk away because they can't accept this truth. That's the truth. But let's take a step back for just a minute and look at the way Jesus taught you think about the Sermon on the Mount. You look at the way Jesus engaged and interacted with people and understand this. I know it looks like he's picking on divorced people and he's condemning people in this situation. But when you read the Gospels and you look at his life, you don't find Jesus running around pointing fingers at people, pointing fingers at broken people like you and me. This He doesn't do that. This man who revealed God's desire for a man and a woman, this hard truth, is the same man who stepped into the life of a woman caught in adultery. In John chapter 8, verse 1, look at what it says. Jesus returned to the Mount of Olives, but early the next morning he was back again at the temple. A crowd soon gathered, and he sat down, and he taught them. As he was speaking, the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in the act of adultery, porneia. They put, their, they put her in front of the crowd. Teacher, they said to Jesus, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. The law of Moses says to stone her. What do you say? They were trying to trap him. Remember those words. They were trying to trap him into saying something they could use against him. But Jesus stooped down and wrote in the dust, what a stupid question they're asking me with his finger. <laughs> But he probably thought it. 
They kept demanding an answer, and so he stood up again, and he said, all right, but let the one who has never sinned throw the first stone. And then he stooped down again and wrote in the dust. When the accusers heard this, they slipped away one by one, beginning with the oldest, until only Jesus was left in the middle of the crowd with the woman. And then Jesus stood up again, and he said to the woman, where are your accusers? Where are all those people who condemned you? Didn't even one of them condemn you? No. Jesus said to her, neither do I. Go and sin no more. So can you just stop for a minute and look up here and think about this? Jesus looks at this woman and he says, not condemned. And this is important because when you read what it says, it can feel so hard. But can you just imagine Jesus who loved you so much that he is going to die for you, looking at you in the eye as a divorced person or a remarried person and saying to you, I know this truth is hard and I know what it feels like. I know where you are right now. I know the situation you're in. I know all about the circumstances. I know what he did or what he didn't or she did or didn't, but none of that changes these two truths. Marriage is one man and one woman for life. That's the way your father designed it, but this is true as well. I'm not mad at you. I'm not condemning you. In fact, I love you. And just like everyone else walking this planet, you need my grace. And that grace, right, is Jesus over here and and me over here. And grace is the thing that fills the gap. He looks at this woman in John 8 and you and me, and he says, what you did was not what God wanted, but I don't condemn you. Now get up and don't do it anymore. I'm I'm not going to tell you it's okay or it's not that bad or it wasn't your fault. Your dad did this, your mom did that. She said that, he did this. What this woman did was a sin against God and herself and her family. And he looks at her and he says, don't do it anymore. I don't condemn you. And I ran off all the people who were condemning you. That's the Jesus who teaches about marriage. And you can't undo what God has done when he made two become one. But regardless of where you are, you can experience my grace and mercy and forgiveness. Listen, divorce happens. It's happened since the time of Moses because of sin, because we're broken people living in a broken world and thank God for his grace. But where do you stand with the church? Well, listen to this. If Jesus doesn't condemn you, then the church doesn't condemn you. And any church that does condemn you is not the church. Because the church is the body and the personality and the expression of Jesus. I mean, Jesus hung on a cross next to a guy who tried to rededicate his life while he was hanging on a cross with Jesus, right? He said, hey, Jesus, I'm 30 minutes from dying, but from now on, I'm with you. And Jesus looked at him and said, today, you'll be with me in paradise, This is the same Jesus that gave us this truth about marriage. Where do you stand? You stand with every other single person, me and everyone else who need the grace of Jesus. And so what do you do? Well, listen, as a pastor who has walked through this with so many people that I can't even count, I want you to know that Paul says in 1 Corinthians 7 this, wherever you find yourself, right? Whatever situation you find yourself in, you stay where you are and you live this truth out. So if you're married for the very first time or you're remarried after a divorce, I want to say this to you. 
grab a hold of this truth. Even if it's uncomfortable, even if you don't like it, grab a hold of this truth. Regardless of your story, regardless of how you feel, regardless of where you find, find yourself, believe this truth. Because just because it's uncomfortable doesn't make it untrue. What God has done, you cannot undo. And when you try to unwind out of marriage, you're just gonna cause all kinds of problems. And you're gonna carry your dysfunction into the next. Don't you know God is smart enough to know what's going to happen? You're gonna carry the dysfunction into the next and into the next because this, you, you not only have to hold on to this truth, you need to admit that you haven't been living up to the standard. And I know what you think. No, it's not me. It's them. They're the ones that did it. They did it. It's their fault. Look at what they did. Look at the circumstances. Here's, if there's one thing I learned, it's this. Two things I've learned. Number one, not all stories are the same. And number two, it's not one person's fault. Ever. All right? And so what we do is we own our part of dysfunction, however small that part is. Own our part of the dysfunction in the relationship you find yourself in or in the relationship you got out of. And for some of you, that's gonna be really hard because we brought that junk in from our past marriage or marriages into the one that you're in now. And you're gonna have to go back with your heavenly father and maybe even with your previous spouse and you're going to need to own your past and, I, and, and, and ask for forgiveness. And, and maybe it's through a letter. Maybe it's just something that you send and say, I'm sorry. I own my part. Even if they don't accept it, even if they don't know what you're talking about or, or even care about it, this isn't about them. It's about you. It's about our heart. And you ask forgiveness from your heavenly father or your spouse or your previous spouse, and that's going to be hard. And then this may be even harder. You grant forgiveness to them and to yourself. And how do you do that? Well, you wake up and you do it every day until you don't have to do it anymore. And commit yourself every single day to be the man or woman of God that he wants you to be in your marriage. And men, that means loving your wives with a sacrificial love. That means making it a priority to see them become a woman, the woman God created and called her to be. Wives, that means respecting your husbands and allowing them to lead your family and to lead your home. And something I promise that is not going to be hard to do when you're the recipient of sacrificial love. If you're in between, listen, if you're divorced and you're not yet remarried, then I want you to grab a hold of this truth and lean into this truth, regardless of your circumstances, regardless of how you feel, regardless of where you find yourself, because this truth, even though it's comfortable, isn't untrue. What God has done, you can't undo, and you've caused some issues. And I want you to admit and own your part that maybe you, have, you were not living up to the standard that God set. I want you to own your part of the failure, own your part of the dysfunction, and then grant, ask, and grant forgiveness. Ask and grant forgiveness to them and to yourself. And listen, this may be even the hardest. If you're divorced and your spouse is not remarried and you're not remarried, I really think that you should consider what it would look like to reconcile only this time in a healthy way. Here's the thing. Listen, everybody listen to me. You cannot be the same person in the same relationship. And they can't either. 
trying to do the same thing in the same way is going to come up with the same results. You have to be changed. And so do they. And so I'm just asking, could you invite them into that? Into that kind of change? All you can do is own your part. All you can do is what you're supposed to do. And that's all we're asking. As for getting married again, I'm going to ask you to do this. We're not going to marry you until at least a year after you've been divorced. But I would ask that maybe you go one, two, or even three years before you ever get married again. And in that time, you commit every single day to become the man or woman that God desires you to be. You get to a place of contentment and oneness with God while you're single before you ever step into another relationship. You learn to lean into God's grace. All right, listen to me. I really want you to understand something. I do not speak today out of a place of arrogance or I've got this all together. I speak today out of a place of brokenness. I have personally experienced the reality of struggle in my own marriage. Because of the junk that I brought into it. I've experienced divorce and its effects on the lives of the people that I love the most on my family. My mom and dad were each divorced and remarried three different times. And honestly, it was a big reason why I spent a season of my life running from God. And to this day, I still tr struggle with the whole thing. The hurt that it caused my mom, the, the separation that it caused for my dad, uh, and what happened with my siblings. And I also find myself struggling with the what ifs. I mean, what if my parents had honored God? What if, what if they had gotten help? What if there had been forgiveness and reconciliation? What if they had embraced this truth about marriage? Listen, I'm 55 years old and I still deal with the pain of that rejection. And I do not want that for you or your family or your children. So know this, God's grace is greater than our sin, regardless of what that sin might be. Romans 3.23 says that every one of us have sinned and we continually fall short of a standard that God desires for us. God's grace fills the gap. Romans 5.20 says, but where sin increased, grace increased all the more. Listen to me. We are going to be a church that does what Jesus did. We are going to welcome you regardless of where you are or what circumstances you find yourself in. And we are going to love you and walk with you and help you in any way we can because that's what Jesus did for me and for you. And the beautiful thing about Jesus is he takes us right where we are. And rather than focus on our past, he chooses grace and forgiveness and desires to walk with us into our future. Father, thank you for this moment, for this day, for this chance to be able to sit here and listen to your truth, Father, even though it's hard to know that you have a plan and purpose for our lives, that you have desires for our lives. I pray, Father, that you would just, I pray that you would forgive me for when I've tried to live my life in my own direction. And that, Father, we as a church, as people, would surrender to your direction in our lives for our marriage, 
for our individual lives, that we would draw close to you and then the promise would happen that you would draw near to us. Father, I pray if there's people who are in this room who have never known you, that they would know that marriage doesn't work unless they know you and that they would step into a relationship today with you. If there is brokenness in here, Father, I pray that there are people who would come down and maybe for the very first time, admit it, seek forgiveness, Father, and leave here changed because of what you can do in their lives. Father, we love you. And I thank you for loving us enough to be honest with us and just to tell us the truth, but offer mercy and grace in our time of need. Father, we love you and thank you for loving us. It's in your son's name I pray, amen.